If you would take out your Bibles. John chapter 16 is in front of us. Jesus is now going to give us really the second part. Remember that the chapter and verse designations were not in the original letter authored by the gospel writer John who writes his epistle. And so as John authors this, he's really just recording as the Holy Spirit gave him remembrance and utterance the things that God had placed on his heart to record for us the scripture. And so this is really part two Uh, of how we finished what we would call chapter 15. And Jesus is going to state very plainly in verse 1 the reason why he's written these things through the Holy Spirit. becomes very clear, uh, any of you that are here today that have walked with the Lord and you have been trying to live a Christian life, and I would assume that that's uh, a very large percentage, most of us, you've already figured out it's not easy in this world. Amen? You face some difficulties that because you are a believer, because you've committed your life to Christ, because you want to share the gospel, because you're trying to live godly in Christ Jesus and not fulfill the lusts of your own flesh, it is actually because of those things that you are being attacked at times. The world itself actually is fully engaged in anti-Christian rhetoric today. We are viewed as the cause of global warming and about everything else that comes along our way. There's a major problem. Somehow Christians are being linked to it. It's this narrow-minded conservative viewpoint that comes from Scripture that people have a problem with, and it's really not that. It's actually because we truly believe that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by him. Amen. Amen? So because we believe that truth... And because Jesus knows that he's sending the disciples into exactly that kind of world, a world that's opposed to the gospel message, a world that does not want to hear what the gospel will speak into their lives and what the Holy Spirit will do, Jesus now is going to tell them exactly why these things are so. And so would you join me and we'll pray. We'll pick up in verse 1 of John 16 and take the first 15 verses here. Father, we commit this time to you that from heaven uh, you would speak to us by the power of your spirit, that we would hear your voice and understand it, that nothing that I would say would get in the way, and God, that you would just now take your word and empower it to change our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Verse 1, John chapter 16, Jesus himself continuing now in speaking, These things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. In other words, so imminent was the opportunity, so prevalent would be the chance, so very possible would be the issue of stumbling in this world because of the way the world functions, because of that threefold triune enemy that you have, the world itself, your own flesh and the devil, because it is highly likely you're going to be tempted to stumble. Jesus says, these things I have written to you so that you should not be made to stumble. So that when the trial comes, when the test comes, not if it comes, not if there's a possibility you might face something that's going to be difficult, so that when that difficulty comes, you won't stumble. 
this passage is so incredibly important to us as the body of Christ because it really lays out in a a very few verses these principles for living a Holy Spirit-filled life. What are we going to do? How are we going to do it? Why would we need the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Too many Christians, in essence, function in this world as Christians in name only. They just simply say, yes, I'm a Christian. But they don't walk in victory. They stumble constantly, and consequently, the world looks at that stumbling believer and gets the picture that God's not able. God doesn't do a very good job of saving us. That if we're really Christians, we, we kind of are, are so much of a mess that the God that we serve must also be a mess is the basic understanding that a lot of people have because we don't walk in victory. It's a battle. Pick up in verse 2 now with me as Jesus elaborates on this point. He says, they will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. And that word service means priestly service. In other words, they will think they're doing God a favor by casting you out of their church. You who want to actually walk with the Lord, you who desire to talk with the Lord, you who love his word, you who do what God asks you to do and live how God asks you to live, there will come a time in this world's history that when people actually do that, that the world will say, I don't want anything to do with you, and if that's church, I don't want to go to it. Can I tell you those days are upon us? That the church in our world has... I think reach that place to where many are no longer the salt that they're supposed to be. They're no longer the light they're supposed to be. They no longer actually preach the real gospel. They preach a socially centered gospel that just is basically good works wrapped up in the name of the church. We are to be busy about our father's business and our father's business is doing exactly what God wants us to do and being who God wants us to be. And so Jesus now says these things to us. These things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. To persons of the Trinity, the reason the world does not like the true church, the reason the world is not a fan of who we are as Bible-believing, Bible-living church people is because most of the world doesn't know Jesus. And so when you do live that life, when you are living the way you're supposed to live, when you actually have the work of the Holy Spirit going on in your life, the world looks at you and goes, I don't like that. I want to be able to do things my way. I, I don't want you telling me that there's something that's actually wrong. We live in a moral relativistic society. We live in a moral relativistic world. We live in a time when people believe that whatever they think is the truth. That they themselves set their own paradigm. I get to call the shots. I am the master of my own little universe called Jeff World. That is one of the prevailing worldviews. We call it humanism. 
that man is at the center and whatever man thinks must be right. Jesus is about to explain, no, there actually is a God and he has sent the Holy Spirit into the world to convict men of both sin and righteousness. And so we actually don't get an opportunity to live the lives that the world says we ought to live. We live a life that God says we ought to live. And that causes a problem in this world. But these things I have told you that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. In other words, Jesus is saying, so when it happens, I told you so. Don't let it surprise you. Don't let it shock you. So when you go to work and you, you take up the habit, if you want to freak people out at your workplace, take your Bible with you to work. Any lunch, when you're sitting there having lunch, you pull out your Bible and just read a few verses kind of semi out loud. Amen? And here's what's going to happen. What are you doing? You're ruining my lunch. Why don't you keep that to yourself? And then after a few months of watching you do that, the first time they have some major problem in their life, they might just be coming and ask you, what are you reading about? But don't be surprised if people don't like the fact that you take out your Bible. Notice what Jesus says next at the end of verse 4. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. We're about to embark on a little journey with the Holy Spirit in the rest of this, these first 15 verses. Let me remind you of a couple of truths. Jesus, when he came to this earth, took upon himself the form of a man. Amen? He voluntarily put off the glories of heaven. He became a man. By the way, that's the reason he could die. If he had remained God, he would still be completely eternal. Had he not put off the glories of heaven, he would not have been able to even be killed so that he could die for our sin. So he voluntarily put off who he was in heaven to come here. He was a man. And as a man, though he was still fully God, as hard as that is for us to understand, as a man, how many places can any one man be at one time? Exactly one. How many groups of people can he talk to at one time? Remember, they didn't have the internet. There was no YouTube. Jesus was a man. He could be in one place at one time. And so Jesus is now explaining to them, we have a problem because I'm still in this body of flesh which is about to die for your sin. And if I stay here, I can only be in one place at one time and I can't share the gospel with everyone, so I'm going to leave. He's reminding them of the truth of who he actually is. And so he says, you couldn't understand all these things. If he had told the disciples everything that are currently contained in all of the gospels, in all of the epistles, and especially the book of Revelation authored by John on the island of Patmos in a cave, they would have freaked out. They would have said, oh, we're not interested. Can you imagine Jesus coming to them as fishermen on the edge of the Sea of Galilee 
and saying, oh, by the way, in 2,000 years from now, there's going to be this incredible battle that's going to happen. And the two-thirds of the world's population is going to be wiped out. They would go, well, wait a second. I'm not sure I'm ready to hear that. And so the Holy Spirit authors Scripture over a period of time that actually beginning in Genesis to Revelation is 1,500 years of human time, the time that we live in. 66 books, 40 different authors. But every last bit of it, a single message about one man. His name is Jesus. So Jesus says, I couldn't tell you all these things because I was with you. You wouldn't remember it. I didn't say everything all at once. But now I go away to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? It's as if they still don't quite have a handle on what's happening right before their eyes. But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. You're just simply sad. You're sad I'm going to die. But you're not asking the important question. Because God doesn't do anything by accident. He's not caught off guard. He doesn't have to adjust in the middle of his plans. Like, wow, I surely didn't see that coming. God knows exactly what's going on from beginning to end of the story. And so to that end, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is actually to your advantage that I go away. So now you can see what Jesus is trying to say to them. Look, I can't stay here. As much as I am God incarnate in human flesh, I'm still in human flesh. And if I stay here, I'm going to be stuck with you guys. Of course, he doesn't say it that way, but he's got some disciples, right? He's wandering with them. He's speaking only to them. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. We've already seen who the helper is. That would be the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the one who comes alongside, the one who ultimately will come in, the one who will ultimately overflow if you ask. The helper won't come. As long as Jesus was here, he was the voice of God on the face of this earth. He was speaking forth the truth as God intended it to be known at that time, but there was a greater work and a greater purpose for which the Savior came other than in other words, another, another way to look at this is because Jesus is about to die, we need to get the message out. Amen? That's the role of the Holy Spirit. It's what the Holy Spirit does in the life of the believer. And we're now going to see that. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And notice it's a he, it's a him all the way through these 15 verses. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they do not believe in me and of righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no more and of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. In other words, the world, the flesh, and the devil are actually on the losing team. 
He's already lost. Amen? Amen? But the world doesn't understand that. And so the world needs to have some understanding about who Jesus is. The way that happens is the work of the Holy Spirit, primarily through the word of God in the life of the believer, so that we now can speak forth what has already been spoken to those prophets of old, to the writers of the Bible, as they heard those things, we now have that truth and can speak it because it convicts the world of two things principally, sin, what's wrong, righteousness, what is right in the eyes of God, and the result of not understanding that, judgment. And so God speaks these words through the Lord Jesus himself, reminding us that we're in this battle and we are Holy Spirit warriors while we're here on this earth. We are supposed to be the, the forces of the Lord's army while we're here. You didn't know this, maybe, but you signed up for the army when you gave your life to the Lord Jesus. You're a soldier for the king. And so in that, you have a part to play in the battle. And the chief part that we play as the children of God is to tell other people about the two things that the Holy Spirit continues to confirm in this world that there is a righteous God and he has a way he views this world and anything apart from that is sin and that he has a way you're supposed to live your life, that would be righteousness and how to get there, sanctification, and the result is you're either going to be judged by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ or by the righteousness of God without Christ and thereby judged eternally and separated from God. That is the primary work of the Holy Spirit in this world. And to that end, you and I join the Spirit in that work. One of the reasons I personally do not like and do not use the term Holy Ghost is because it gives the wrong impression. Even though the King James writers use the term, it does not speak to the fact that it's not a ghost, it's not an apparition, it's not a floating spirit. The Holy Spirit is a he the third person of the Trinity. And that Holy Spirit, who is a he, lives inside of you. It's not just some kind of power source. It's not like you got the force. You didn't become a Jedi for Jesus. No, you literally are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, who is a he, a being. And so as such, you have constantly and always the same power dwelling within you that raised Jesus from the dead, that breathed life into a lifeless planet, that put life on this earth when it was void and without form. You see, that's very different than, ooh. And the Holy Spirit in you wants to use you, wants to put you in, that situation to where there might be a little bit of battle and then empower you to be a victor. And to that end, very often people misunderstand the role of the Holy Spirit in their life. It's actually quite simple. It's described for you here. 
There are two basic works and, in essence, two applications, if you will, of what is said here. The chief word is convict. Can I tell you that it is not your job to convict anyone of sin? It's not my job either. People sometimes, man, that message was convicting. And it came from the Holy Spirit. Hopefully, Pastor Jeff didn't mess anything up by saying something he shouldn't say. It is the role of the Holy Spirit to convict of sin. That's principally unbelief. That's, I don't believe God means what he said, says what he means, and is going to do what he says he will do. You see, unbelief is the unpardonable sin. When when Jesus mentions that in Matthew's gospel, he's talking about denying the work of the Holy Spirit. Amen? So what does the Holy Spirit do? We're told here exactly what the Holy Spirit does. You see, because it's talking about the entire cosmos, meaning the entire world, the Holy Spirit is actually in the world telling people, you know what, you've got a problem with God. So when I say you don't have a problem with me, look, I'm a sinner saved by grace just like you. You don't have a problem with me. If you tell me you have a sin problem, I'll go, amen. Say, me too. Mine may not be yours and yours may not be mine, but my problem is I'm a sinner and I need a savior. And praise God, I met him. You see, the Holy Spirit convicted me that I was a sinner. The second thing he does is he convicts the sinner of Christ's righteousness and his ability to forgive my sin. So points out the problem, then gives the solution. Isn't that awesome? Two things. Jeff, here's your problem. You're a sinner. You're separated from God. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of the Lord. Amen? Glory of God. All have sinned. There's none righteous, not one. You see, the Holy Spirit convicts people of that. You see, a lot of people say, well, I'm not a sinner. I very often have people, I'm not a sinner. I'm sorry, you disagree with the Bible. And the whole Bible paints that picture. Was Adam a sinner? Yep. Was Eve a sinner? Yep. Abraham, Isaac, yes, yes, yes. David, yes. Solomon, yes. All the apostles, every last one of them, save one. What's his name? Jesus. So you who were dead in your trespasses and sins, he, the one who's sinless, Jesus, has made alive. Amen? So the world doesn't like that message. You mean I can't get to God through religious works? Nope. I can't get to God simply through scripture memorization? Nope. You can't get to God by simply being a member of some group or church? Nope. You need to be convicted of your sin and then presented the solution to it, which is Christ's righteousness, which is available to you by grace through faith. That's it. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And so what happens is this. You get the picture that Christ is the Savior. That's the righteous side. And the sin part of it, if you don't believe in the Savior, you're stuck with your sin. That's the judgment side of it. 
So you can either be judged by grace through faith in Christ Jesus, or you can be judged by your sin, which remains the result of separation from God. You see, people put all kinds of things on the Holy Spirit. Well, the Holy Spirit is here to teach me how to talk in tongues. That's not the principal work of the Holy Spirit. It's a very minor evidence that the Apostle Paul himself downplays in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. The role of the Holy Spirit is to convict the entire world that we have a sin problem and there is a solution and his name is Jesus. That's real simple. And it's not, ooh, ghostly. It's based on truth. And that truth is found in the scriptures. And so who authored the scriptures? The second letter that Paul wrote to the church to, the, to the, his young understudy Timothy in chapter 3, in verse 16, it says that all Scripture was written by the, in, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And it is suitable for doctrine, that's understanding the things of God, reproof, that's telling you what the problem is, correction, that's how to fix it, And instruction in righteousness is how to be saved. You get it? So the whole of the Bible was written to you from Genesis to Revelation for you to understand proper doctrine, how to apply it, that you are a sinner, here's how you can be saved, and then hopefully that you'll commit your life to Jesus. Amen? So why is Jesus telling these disciples this now? That's the question, isn't it? As you look at this. Because they needed to be taught. They needed a teacher. He's about to leave. And so the teacher is going to stay with them as the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit's going to speak into Paul's life. And Paul is going to author all, almost half of the New Testament. Going to speak into Peter's life. He doesn't have a gospel. Peter's going to author his letters. John's actually going to write a gospel and some epistles. It's this little tiny book of Jude. And then John goes from writing the gospel to receiving this picture of the last days. It's all spelled out for us here in Scripture, in the gospel of John, that that's what the Holy Spirit was up to. The Holy Spirit was going to come so that we might have the whole picture, not just part of it. Very often people get into this mindset that, well, you know, I I already, you know, I read the Gospel of John, so I'm good. Can I tell you, if you just read the Gospel of John, you you can be saved for sure. The plan of salvation's there. But if you want to really understand the doctrine of, say, sanctification, you probably want to read some of Paul's epistles. If you want to know about justification, again, Paul's epistles. If you want to know what's going to happen in the latter days, you probably want to read the book of Revelation or the book of Jude. You see, there were other things that they weren't ready to know yet because they hadn't even seen the cross. So the Holy Spirit was going to come and fill in some of those blanks. And oh boy, do we need the Holy Spirit to fill in some blanks in our lives. Amen? So notice verse 12, and here's how we can understand this, verse 12 to 15. I still have many things to say to you. Now do you see it? Who's going to say those things? The Holy Spirit. Because Jesus is about to die on the cross and go back to the Father in heaven. 
but you cannot bear them now. If, if Jesus had sat there and told them everything they need to know, their minds would have been so blown, they would have been useless. They would have probably gone and hidden in a cave somewhere. However, when he, now start the circle, underline or highlight them, when he, the spirit of truth, thy word, O Lord, is truth. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. All scripture speaks of him. So if he's the truth, what does all scripture speak of? Truth. What is the Holy Spirit? The spirit of truth, the spirit of the word of God. So if the word of God and the spirit are not sending the same message, you've got a problem with what you're hearing. You can know what the spirit of God is saying chiefly by what the word of God says. It's not some mythical thing. It's not some special ordained message just for you. And in fact, there is no interpretation given to man, but that which is common to all men. If you've got some other message, you got the wrong message. It disagrees with what the Bible has already said. You got issues. And so here, Jesus now says, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all what? Truth. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. Where would he hear that? From God the Father, from Christ the Son. They have a unified message, and it is one message. It is, in fact, the one true gospel. And he will tell you of things to come. There's those last days things that they weren't ready for. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. Remember, God the Father gave all things to his Son. The Holy Spirit can't have something else unless it still belongs to Jesus. Amen? People try and pull these things apart and say, well, you know, there's the work of the Spirit, and you know, there's the work of them, and they're, they're different. No, they're exactly the same. They have different form and function, different ways that they're done. But it's a unified message that begins in Genesis, runs all the way to Revelation, and it's one message so that people might be saved will declare it to you in all things that the Father has are mine. And therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit's the teacher. The Holy Spirit comes alongside. So much of what happens in church today is there's some kind of new message. Something that needs to, that isn't found in Scripture. We would call it extra biblical. And in fact, we're going to delve into some of that tonight and ask the pastor, a little bit in the cults. But the same God that authored these words recorded by John also wrote the book of Revelation. Empowered through the Holy Spirit into the life of the same man that writes this gospel. But he does it a whole bunch later. Matter of fact, he does it 60 years later when John is near 90 years old. The Holy Spirit still today teaches you, teaches me. And it is a mind that you will never exhaust. As you dig into the word of God, if there's anything I can tell you about studying the Bible, you will never understand the whole thing cover to cover. Not while you're here. There will always be something new that will pop in. You go, man, I can't believe I never saw that. It happens to me every single time I study. 
It's like some new little thing that the Holy Spirit says, oh, and by the way, Jeff, you never got this before. Those other things that the disciples are now being told, I need to teach you some other stuff, but you can't quite get it yet. You need to wait because you got some other knowledge you need to have first, and then this will make sense to you. It's a beautiful picture of how the Holy Spirit works in our lives, teaching us the one true gospel. I want to give you six things to close with. And they're just simple things that you can focus in on. And they're part of this work of the Spirit, this life in the Spirit. Look, here's the beauty of all of this. What the Holy Spirit is saying here as Jesus speaks these words and saying these things to you and me is that if you want to really have freedom in your life, it's found in the life in the Spirit. Amen? Because everything you need is found in Him. And the way we now glean that is chiefly through the work of the Holy Spirit. When I read the Bible, I, found, found, I find these truths that I need to know. I find how to apply these truths that I need to know. I find what I should put off and what I should put on. I have total freedom in Christ because I'm freed from the old man and I'm putting on the new man. That's a work of the Spirit. As you walk with the Lord, empowered by the Spirit, in this world, in this battle, the only place to find freedom is walking in the Spirit. If you walk in the flesh, you'll fulfill the lust of the flesh. Plain teaching, by the way. As Paul writes to the church at Galatia, he's saying, look, it's a real simple thing. If you will not walk in the flesh, you will not fulfill the lust of the Spirit. So that obviously the opposite must also be true. If I want real freedom, I have to walk in the Spirit. I have to live a life in the Spirit. A life in the Spirit gives me the greatest connection, not only a greater connection, but the greatest connection possible to God himself. That chiefly comes from understanding the Word, it being empowered by the Holy Spirit's work in my life. As I read it, I'm now sitting there going, man, I understand this. Because there's some passages in the Bible that are kind of tough to understand. Anybody that tells you that they can read through Leviticus and not be a little stumble, I, you know, it's like, it's like, wow, do I really need to? So you need some extra info there the Holy Spirit can give you. It's, oh, that's right, that was the law for the Jewish people. It wasn't designed for me. Matter of fact, it ended when the new covenant came about. You see, there's some other things you need to know. So that greater connection to the Lord comes from a life lived in the Spirit empowering the word to speak into your life. That's why we put an emphasis in this church on God's word. Amen? Life in the spirit gives you a greater revelation of truth. You see, when you're a babe in Christ, when you first come to the Lord, you're just happy you're not going to hell. Amen? Can I just say that? I mean, and you should be, by the way. It's like, I've been saved by grace through faith and I I now know that I'm a sinner and I need a savior and Jesus saved me. I'm not going to hell. Hallelujah. Amen. But now if you walk with the Lord for a little while, it's kind of like, you know, maybe I ought to look at some of these other verses that are in there because, man, that's an awful lot of verses to just simply say I'm not going to hell. Oh, you mean I'm not supposed to be angry and bitter and hateful and mean-spirited? Oh, man. See, that's the conviction of sin, isn't it? What's the righteousness side of it? Joy, peace, gentleness, meekness, self-control. Against those such things, there is no law. 
You see the difference? One says this is the problem. The other says this is what it should look like if you're actually walking in the Spirit. That's the role of the work of the Spirit in your life. You're not going to get all that in day one. You go through you know, our new believers class. That's one of the reasons that we focus in on the things we focus in on. There's some need to know things. But after that, you're going to spend the rest of your life trying to know the Lord better. That's the beauty of the relationship we have in the Spirit. Anybody in here want to have greater victory in the battle that you're you're in? I do. That comes through the work of the Spirit. That is the work of the Spirit in your life. You, You want to have a greater impact for the kingdom. You need the Spirit of God in your life, and so do I. So do we as a church. You're not going to be very victorious if you're going about it with the arm of flesh. Because Scripture is very clear, the arm of flesh, in fact, cannot sustain you. It won't. You'll get in the battle. It's like, wow, I'm out. You know, it's like the person that goes goes into war and he's got like three bullets. It's like, I know there's sin, I know there's a Savior, and I'm escaping hell. That's your three bullets. No, but I need to be kind and gentle and loving I need to treat other people the way I would want them to treat me. You see, those are spiritual things. As you grow in Christ, you're able to minister to more people about more things and have a greater impact in the kingdom. Gives you a greater goal to fight for. You know, when we go to work, and again, praise God for every last one of our jobs, we go to work and we get a paycheck and we come home and we make our mortgage payment, pay our car payments and put food on the table. That's all good and wonderful. Can I tell you, none of that matters in eternity. So there is a greater goal. You can have all the money in the world. Jesus actually said it. What profits it a man if he gains the entire world, the whole cosmos, but loses his soul? And so the same truth is true for you personally as you share Christ with other people. The greatest thing you can do in this world is to share Jesus with somebody else. That's it. That's it. That's why we do missions. That's why we do barbecues. That's why we're here today. That's why we counsel people from God's word. That's why we do what we do. The whole goal, the whole purpose is to see people who don't know Jesus become convicted of sin, understand Christ's righteousness, that judgment's coming so that we can present the Savior so they can go to heaven. That's what we're here for. That family is the greatest message of all time. That's why it's called the good news, the gospel. Would you stand with me? You see what Jesus was saying is, I'm going to go away, but oh, am I going to leave you with power you've never known. I'm going to leave you with tools that are necessary for the battle that rages. I'm going to give you everything you need to be successful. I'm going to give you personal victory in your life. I'm going to give you corporate victory in your life. I'm going to give you the power of the good news of the gospel to share with other people because there's only one thing you can take to heaven with you, and that's other people. Amen? What a message. There's nothing else in your life that is eternal. That's the one thing that you can do. You can be assured that's going to heaven with you. Would you bow your heads with me right now and close your eyes, please? 
gospel's been preached today. And maybe you're here today and you don't know this Jesus that you just heard about. But you're saying in your heart and your mind right now, if you were to die, if today was your last day on this earth, you know you're a sinner. You know you've sinned. That's all it means. It means you've missed the mark of God's righteousness. You know that's true. And you're saying to yourself, well, if I'm a sinner, then I must need a Savior. That Savior's name is Jesus. And he died in your place, paying the price for your sin, so that you can be saved. So that you won't face that great white throne judgment, but you'll stand at the reward seat to receive the reward for those things that you've done for the king and for the kingdom in this life. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, but you want to know Jesus, would you do me a favor and just simply slip your hand up wherever you are in the sanctuary? I want to pray for you. We're going to pray together for you to receive the greatest gift. I see that hand. Anyone else? It's not a hard thing. Jesus didn't make it religious. He didn't make it difficult. I see that hand as well. Don't miss the opportunity. And this isn't to frighten anyone. It's just simply to say you can make the decision today and square away your eternity right now. Just raise your hand. I want to pray with you. We'll pray together. I'll even lead you. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. It's time. It's time for you to do business with God. He sent Jesus to save your soul so that you would not perish. If you want that right now, I see that hand too. It's free. It's a free gift. And Christ wants to give it to you right now. For those of you that have raised your hands, Thank you for being brave, for not caring what the world thinks. Scripture says if you will confess Jesus before men, he will confess you before the Father. And so would you pray with me? I'm just going to lead you in a simple prayer. You need to just simply follow me and your lips to God's ears. You need to speak to God right now and just tell him how you feel. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I admit that I am a sinner and I desperately want a savior. I realize I can't save myself and I'm asking you, Jesus, to save me. Thank you for dying in my place on Calvary's cross. Thank you that because you were raised, I will also be raised to eternal life. I'm giving you my life right now I want to live for you all my days. I need your help to do that. I'm asking for your Holy Spirit to come into my life and to change me from the inside out. Thank you for my salvation. Thank you for forgiving my sin and writing my name in the Lamb's book of life. I honor you, Jesus, my Savior. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Amen.